Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Did you catch me getting a little bit of coffee right there? Because that is my Catholic vote mug. It is keeping me rolling. I have a brand new human being in my house. You could probably see it in the bags under my eyes, um, who decided to test out her vocal range until something after 1 a.m. in the morning. That's always a good time for every new parent. You know what that looks like. You know what that feels like. Uh, that being said, this is the Kyle Serafin Show. We are going to be running it uh, live today from Liberty Hill, Texas, and I'm very appreciative that my buddy stood in for the last couple days. We had some tape-recorded stuff on Monday and Tuesday. I hope you enjoyed the interview we did with Mickey Willis, and today is Friday, September the 1st. So we are now in almost one year, we're in the same month at least, that I went public with Dan Bongino. And many of you will have heard my name almost a year ago, and definitely a year ago this month for most of you that are listeners of my friend Dan. So it's kind of an interesting time for us, and it's kind of an interesting time in this country. I just uh, saw something last night, and I, I don't normally cover anything that's local to where I'm at, but I do think it's really apropos of where we are in society. There's some strange undergoings. There are a lot of happenings that many of you are sensing the, the disquieting effect that this presidency, this Joe Biden presidency, and and really with only a little gap of Trump, and I would say two good years of Trump and two weird years with the COVID situation, um, it is it is really having an effect on the way that you are living in any urban area. If you're near it and if you're in the suburbs, you know what I'm talking about. There's a feeling of unrest. There is this disquieting sense that something is very, very wrong in this country. And even stepping away from the show for a couple of days, I still feel it. I still feel it because it's out on social media. It is out in the public. When you walk around, you can see there are just some strange things that are happening. We're going to go into all that stuff. We are going to have Friendly Friday, although it is going to take us a moment. Steve Friend, who was gracious enough to co-host and um, and guest host this show for the last couple of days, decided to book something with our friend Emerald Robinson. So he's talking to her right now, and then he will join us a little bit later in the show. So while we do that, let's get... Uh, a little thank you in for my friends over at Catholic Vote. I'm going to bring up their website real quick. This is catholicvote.org. You guys have seen this. Uh, sign up for the loop at the main page there. There's a couple of different things you can do on that main page. You can click on the loop and you'll see what's there. There's a piece called accountability, and there's a green button that says give. If you'd like to donate to the causes that Catholic Vote is fighting, they are an aggregator, obviously. They put money together and um, go after legal causes. They're suing the FBI. They are suing some state governments that are trying to enforce certain actions that are um, against the pro-life movement. I don't know, pro-abortion, pro-death, culture of death type stuff. So if there's interesting on there, I would say hit the give button and just scroll down and see if there's any topics that they are addressing individually that you'd like to be uh, contributing to. It's a good place for your monthly donations if you do give to action-oriented groups. And Catholic Vote is a 501c4, so they are able to do actions. They do political action, hence the vote in their name. We have that inspirational video. I wanted to run that again because I didn't get to see the whole thing yesterday, and I know it was really good. Uh, this is just a compilation of some of the great words spoken by the great presidents, obviously not the one we have currently, but the great words that have been spoken in this country by leadership before we thought that was no longer necessary. If you want to run that clip, Ryan. This great nation will endure as it has endured, will revive and will prosper. That the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. We choose 
to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. This is America, a brilliant diversity, spread like stars, like a thousand points of light in a broad and peaceful sky. We must act today in order to preserve tomorrow. The economic ills we suffer will go away because we, as Americans, have the capacity now, as we've had in the past, to do whatever needs to be done to preserve this last and greatest bastion of freedom. If you're watching on the uh, the Rumble channel, you saw this, but if you're listening on our audio show, it ends with America was made for this. And, and I do think that America was made for challenges and we have all the tools available to us to overcome the adversity that is in front of us, but it's really gonna take a lot of work. And let's start off with some of that some of that adversity that we are facing. So many of you know, I live outside of Austin, Texas. Uh, probably a lot of you do not know that I have lived here more than once. And that when I came out of the military, I, I separated in, in 2012 and I moved to Austin. I went to Austin Community College. I went and went to Texas State University, went and got some additional classwork. I actually thought I was going to go be a doctor for whatever that's worth. The FBI agent thing was kind of a second choice. It just popped up on me and uh, it was an opportunity that I didn't want to turn down. Uh, but my, my real interest was getting into the medical field. Um, I really, uh, as a paramedic, I've always loved helping people. I love putting my hands on and, and being able to move people into a, uh, a healthier place and a safer place and to bring a human touch and a way to understand what is happening. One of the things that I used to always do was I would always explain what I was doing to my patients and what the expectation was in the same way that you might if you were a salesperson, and that was my background. When you tell somebody what to expect, you're actually conducting sort of a sale and I would let them know, look, this is the amount of pain that you could expect, and this is what I'm asking you to do on my behalf, and this is what it's going to do for you. And if you agree, then this transaction goes forward. Even in a medical sense, I always understood that. And uh, so I spent a lot of time in Austin. I got to see a lot of the people in Austin. I talked to homeless people when I was riding around on, a, on an ambulance. I saw plenty of them in the emergency room. And what was always really characteristic of Austin is that for a city its size, it really had a very low amount of violence. But that was starting to change as I left for the FBI Academy in 2016. In fact, my wife and I moved from the center of Austin. We were very close to downtown, half mile away. I could get to the Capitol in probably a 15-minute run or less on foot. And uh, we could go to all the kind of things that were in there. And Austin has always been a really cool city for a lot of reasons. It's very hippie. It's very lib. It's very weird is their thing. It's artistic. It's creative. It's full of people that are really sort of aligned on the political left. But I always used to tell people it was like hippies with guns. If you can imagine that kind of classic Texas Democrats, which is to say they were socially left, but they were still regular people. They were still Texans and on a real level. And that is less and less the case. And what I have here is a story that just kind of blew my mind last night. There's an area in Texas, uh, in Austin, rather, that's called the Arboretum. And it's, it's a development that has been built up by a group that has done a lot of developments that look the same. You've probably seen some of their developments. I can't remember the name of the developer. It's not really relevant, but it was a nice area. It has upscale stores. It has, uh, it's, a, it's a newer development as my time in Austin. So it's within the last 10 or 15 years. And they always had upscale clientele. It's surrounded by nice housing. It's outside of the urban core. There are no homeless shelters nearby. This is not a place where bad things generally happen. The apartments are not cheap. 
the restaurants are not cheap. You, you know what I'm talking about. It's a, imagine like a Scottsdale, uh, Arizona, if you're outside of Phoenix. There's lots of places that you've seen that have looked like this. And this story was actually really shocking to me. So it's local news. And yet I think it actually tells a story that is going on nationally in places that haven't historically had that. Ryan, if you pull up our topic number one, this is something that I read last night. Um, it's from KXAN, which is a local news station here. And it just tells us the the kind of a, the story of what's been going on. Two dead, including the shooter, one injured in shooting at the Arboretum. So the, the area is called the Arboretum. It's a shopping center and it's northwest of Austin proper. It's actually uh, southeast of where I live. And it says one of the people who died at the scene was believed to be the shooter. Uh, they didn't think there was a threat to the public. So we have two homicides, essentially. I don't know if it was a uh, murder-suicide situation, but somebody else was injured. Of course, the ATF responded. And for some reason, they also had the uh, Austin Bomb Squad because people believed that there was an explosion, although there were no explosives found on scene. This is truly, truly strange for a place that has been historically so insulated from that. But it was starting to kick up. When I first heard about Austin in the early 2000s, probably when my wife was in college, 2000, 2002, 2003, there were something like one to two murders a year in this city. It was very, very low. And yet now, if you pull up uh, topic number two, Ryan, I went and pulled the historical homicide records and I was I had the sense that things were changing in this country. And they really were. In 2015, they recorded, the Austin PD recorded 23 murders. 2016, which was the year that I left and really felt like Austin was not a place that I was gonna be able to come back to. The, the amount of urban sprawl had happened in a way that was not um, seen previously. 39 homicides, almost a 50% jump. And 2016 was a violent year in many cities. Chicago actually had record homicides as well. There were a lot of evil, horrible things that happened around this country right there at that tail end of the Obama administration. And I think that was a fundamental change that has happened in this country. There was a lot of undermining of the police. I saw it when I was at the FBI Academy. Some of my friends were actually police officers who had seen that and left local policing and felt like they were leaving their buddies in the lurch. Uh, one of my buddies who sat next to me, a really good guy who actually has held the line in a very, a very meaningful way in Idaho for the FBI. And I don't want to get too specific about it, lest they go after him because he's a good person, um, you know, refused to sign search warrants that were not necessary, understood what his oath was about. And when he was at the FBI Academy with me, a couple of his friends were actually killed um, by this BLM terrorist that was in Dallas. Many of you guys may remember that. And uh, the FBI was actually involved in doing something good and getting rid of that guy. They had a proactive bomb squad usage. I met the Dallas uh, FBI field office bomb squad tech who assembled a proactive explosive device to go after a barricaded subject who had killed police officers. And so there was that fundamental change that was right on the cusp when things were starting to get weird. And when you talk to people that were in the FBI, the way that you know I have people who are far more senior than I was, a lot of them pin that 2010 or maybe 2015, 2016 window as the change that happened, not just in this country, but really specifically in federal law enforcement and how it changed the world for them. And it made it worse, decidedly worse. So um, in doing so, we we got a Trump presidency that, like I said, it was a slight reprieve. In many ways, it was just kind of like it was a, it was kicking the can down the road for something that we did not deal with during the eight years of Obama. And it led us to this place where we've got this, this crazy story going on. Let's see here. I want to pull up uh, CNN's main page. This is going to be, um, if you'll pull up topic four, Ryan, this is kind of how we're hearing things now. This is what CNN thinks is the most important thing for their viewers, for their readers to their website. This is the lead story that they have. The net of justice, right? The net of justice is closing in on Trump and allies. Notice the word justice. 
we've talked on the show a number of times about the watering down and the um, the perversion of the federal judiciary and using the word justice in this way, abusing words like sedition and insurrection. They have a they have a like a calculated and meaningful deterioration on our society. They've really changed the way that half of this country is looking at the other half. And for those of us that are on the half that is being looked at suspiciously, like we are somehow on the wrong side of justice, um, it's it's very disquieting, as I mentioned. It is something that makes us very concerned, and it's something that we're going to have to address in a meaningful way. So I wanted to get into this story about Trump ch- closing in, and then I want to kind of cover down. They love having Trump as a foil to Biden because Biden is so ineffective and so nasty. We're going to kind of do some compare and contrast. It's just something kind of awful to look at at the end of the week here. And then hopefully Steve Friend will join us and we'll get a couple of other little pieces. We'll go into a lighter hearted story, a win for the for free speech as well. But I want to read from this story. And, and the reason why it's so interesting to me is because this is written as an analysis piece. This is not supposed to be... Um, This is not an opinion piece, okay, even though it's under CNN politics. This is an analysis piece written by Stephen Collinson. And Collinson is a White House reporter for CNN, okay? Um, And so that is sort of unsettling in and of itself. Let me figure out if I can find the, uh, there it is. Topic number five, if you'll bring that up there, Ryan. So the net of justice closing in, this is actually clicking through the link. Well, what we're going to find out is that this is some of the language being used. And this is what Stephen Collinson, like I said, White House reporter, thinks is relevant. The opening line itself is actually disquieting to me. It turns out there is a heavy price for trying to steal votes, defaming defenseless election workers, and invading the U.S. Capitol to try to thwart a democratic transfer of presidential power. And that accountability is moving ever closer to Donald Trump. This is their unbiased opinion, right? This is supposed to be their unbiased take on things. Unbiased and opinion don't actually line up, do they? So this is a deeply opinionated case it is something it's making an allegation that Donald Trump is somehow involved in invading the U.S. Capitol. But I keep telling you guys, you have to focus on the words that they're going to do. Defaming defenseless election workers. Um, there was a, uh, you know, basically some statements that were made by Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump about what had happened in Georgia. And now they are being sued for that in a civil way for uh, defamation, the, the, trying to steal votes like they've actually created. Like no one has been charged with trying to steal votes. That's not a, that's not an actual charge that anybody has, but they're using these words to shape the public. And CNN is seen as sort of like center left by the people on the left, even though many of us will consider them a far left outlet. Uh, Reading a little bit further, it says the uh, on Thursday, two members of the far right Proud Boys group. So now we're going to keep going with this language again, charge language, received long sentences despite their pleas for mercy from a judge after they were convicted of seditious conspiracy for their actions during January 6th, the mob attack on Congress. The January 6th mob attack on Congress. It's a mob attack. It's an invasion. It's an insurrection. All these words are so charged, and they've been charged from the beginning. Um, as I see um, Jen stating in the chat, you know, CNN is trash. They're not journalism. Of course, they're not journalism, but they are a source of information for the people on the political left. They are, in fact, gathering this stuff in, and they're taking this as important gospel in the same way that many people listen to Ingram and Hannity and others on the political right and think that those people are giving something of value to them that is maybe unvarnished. It's worth noting. This is the thing that blew my mind. This is Judge Timothy Kelly, who's been uh, the, the trial judge for many of these cases. He said, as during his sentencing, he said, the nature of the constitutional moment where <laughs> the nature of the constitution we were in that day is something that is so sensitive, it deserves a significant sentence. 
That is so troubling to me that a judge feels like he needs to weigh in on the constitutional nature of the day. He's not considering uh, what the actual charges were and what was actually convicted. He's actually talking about the wider circumstance of trying to punish people for the perception that others have. This is a truly upsetting thing. Now, part of the judicial process is supposed to be deterrence. But if anyone thinks that there is a need for further deterrence from what happened on January 6th, after the demonization that has gone on by the left-leaning politics of the uh, of the media, I don't know what, what world you're living in or how you are seeing it, because it is, it is utterly chilled speech in this country, and it has chilled people's ability to gather and their, their belief that there is constantly someone from a federal agency coming after them. That is the thing that so many of you have lost faith in. You've not only lost faith in the media as an institution, but you've lost faith in the federal government because everybody has this assumption that there was not an even playing field, that things were amiss, and we didn't get all that information during that time. There's a little bit more on the story that I wanted to read. They, uh, they mentioned that Trump entered a, a not guilty plea on a vast racketeering case in Georgia that charges him and 18 others, including Giuliani, okay, for trying to overturn Joe Biden's win. Of course, it was Joe Biden's win, unless it wasn't, unless there was something else going on there. Um, lest I get too far afield here, I want to bring uh, our buddy Steve Friend, and he's looking quite fancy. He must have been doing something more, more formal than the Kyle Serafin show, I can tell. Uh, Steve, welcome to Friendly Friday. Thanks for living up to your namesake here. I'm glad to be here, man. It's good to be on the uh, the wide receiver position again. Uh, quarterbacking is a whole different uh, whole different ball of wax. Let me let me just uh, dig into that for one second because I'm curious. What was the experience? I told you driving the boat's different than riding in the boat. And many of you, I think you did a fantastic job, by the way. I told you that privately, but I'll say it publicly for everyone to hear. Um, what, what's the sensation of being being the guy behind the mic when it's your show? Oh, I think I shared this with you too. You know, and, and I think you and I are kind of uh, almost psychotic, where we just don't get nervous in this setting. It just it just doesn't wash over us. The public speaking elements never really affected me that way. But I had that moment, like when the camera light went red and it was, it was quick. I mean, it was like a second and a half and I felt it actually wash over my entire body, like down to my legs. And I was like, that's, that's unusual. But just once you get once you get that momentum rolling, we are talking about the uh, seizing the initiative. Once we got the initiative, GOB and I were good, but I was also really glad to have him. It was great to have a chance to sit back and let somebody else monologue and reset your thoughts. Yeah, it's it's a different animal. Uh, <laughs> we we talked about this in a David Pollock space. For those of you that are watching in the chat, many of you are familiar with that. And he talked about that that momentary panic you get. It doesn't mean that it slows you down. It just means you feel it and then things move forward. <laughs> what's what's amazing is I, I went back, you know, I, I'm, I'm a professional. I want to listen to my game tape. So I want us to critique myself. And I could remember saying things in the podcast and I, that were problematic in my mind. I was like, oh, I, I couldn't, I fumbled over the word. I couldn't think of it. It was forever. And then you hear it, it's like a quarter of a second and only yep. you knew, which is amazing to me because in the moment you feel like it's dead air for an eternity, but it's not. It's like the passage of time. We can't underestimate the significance of the passage of time, can we? The Venn diagram for the passage of time and your intellect level is actually two complete circles apart from each other. It's true. So, all right. So I, I wanted to cover something that you probably saw. This is something I, this is, I think, timely because I know some of your whistleblowing activity had to do with the January 6th, the the misaligned reaction that the FBI had. And it was a politically charged action in many ways. We're seeing some rumble rants on here. So thanks, you guys. People said that Steve did a great job. Steve, you're probably seeing that on the screen. Uh, and yeah. uh, I do appreciate all the congratulations here. I want to I want to get substantial with this because there's something. Uh, this is topic number six, Ryan, if you want to bring this thing up. 
I'm going to read a couple of pieces about what the media was saying. This came from a, a piece that was exposed, I think, on January 12th. It might be January 21st. I'm looking for a date. There it is. January 15th, 2021. So this is only 10 days after the um, the so-called insurrection that happened. This is from theconversation.com. And I find this very, very funny. It's academic rigor with journalistic flair. I didn't know that journalism needed flair, but here it is. These are things that I found. It was actually hyperlinked through in some stories that I was reading. And I wanted to share it with you folks, because many of you will remember, you know, when did this stuff get radicalized? It was radicalized immediately for the American public to digest. Okay. And this thing says many Americans are trying to gain a deeper understanding of what happened behind the riot in January uh, 6th at the U.S. Capitol. Most importantly, why it happened. At the conversation, we asked several scholars, so this is our source, scholars in academia who study symbols, including ancient North images and recent flags from U.S. history to explain what they saw during the riot and what those symbols mean. And the inescapable common thread is, I'm going to give you uh, uh, two points for the FBI's favorite uh, topic. What do you think the inexplicable common thread between all these symbols was, Steve? Uh, they were linked to anti-government extremism and white supremacy. White supremacy is the top answer right there. So of course it's white supremacy. Now I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna scroll down and tell you what the things that they saw. They have a solo solo picture of a guy who's wearing a Carhartt vest, and he is carrying the Confederate battle flag. Okay. And he walked through the Capitol, and many people saw that he's walking. By the way, peacefully, he's just cruising through with a flag. So he has a Confederate battle flag, uh, often known as the most recognized symbol of white supremacy. You can imagine. This, As the second, opposed to the white hood that the former governor of Virginia was caught on camera wearing? Uh, or what, blackface. It's hard to say. We, we he, can't tell. He can't remember which one it was because he did both so often. That it could be either, to be fair. It's not his fault that he doesn't remember whether he was pretending to be a black person or whether he was pretending to be a Klansman and yet uh, was still elected in Virginia. Yes, there's an enormous series of Confederate battle flags that fly in Virginia when you drive up and down I-95 south of the Capitol. And they're they're kind of disquieting, like how big they are. It's unsettling to see. You're like, oh man, somebody spent serious coin, hundreds of dollars and and put up this flagpole, probably thousands invested in what has essentially become a like sort of a, a an actual racist symbol to people. I think a lot of people use it in that way. You know, the few people that use it to say states rights, like there's better ways to do that. I think we all kind of see that it's kind of out of bounds in today's society. And yet um, I'll give them I will give them the Confederate battle flag. I'm willing to concede the Confederate battle flag with no caveats. Here's the number two symbol of white supremacy, the yellow Gadsden flag, which we're going to get into a little bit later on. Um, with this, with this young little kid, buddy in Colorado. Yeah. Jaden, young, suspendable Jaden, who, uh, who was wearing a, uh, a, a Gadsden flag on his backpack and he had a tri-corner hat. So, I mean, he he's did basically which, Osama bin Laden. Correct. I mean, he's, he's definitely a bro for us, but another flag with a racist history is the don't tread on me flag, which was designed by, and here's why it's racist. Are you ready? It was designed by a guy who owned slaves as many people who had money and power and wealth at that time may have. Well, had. I mean, that's the justification they get for getting rid of a George Washington statue or monument. Well, Cor correct. He owned slaves. So the father of the country. So the country ergo must go. Well, the country is deeply racist and institutionally racist because the people have names like Washington, D.C. I'm surprised they haven't come for Washington, D.C.'s name yet. How about this? He was not just a slave owner, but he also traded slaves. So he didn't just have baseball cards. He also traded them. I mean, I don't want to discount the fact that slavery was evil, and it clearly was. But the idea that you would have and trade them and that you would break it out separately when those actions, I'm sure, were the same thing. It's 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 sort of uh, mind numbing. Um, but this was from a graphic design scholar at Iowa State University. That's the one who let us know that that, in fact, was a deeply racist 
don't tread on me. The the sort of symbol for individual rights that says, hey, big government, don't step on me in the same way they were telling the British crown, your tyrannical government is stepping on me. I don't much care for it. It's just incredible that that was the thing. I'm going to keep moving for another sign because this one was the most. Many of you guys saw it. Do you remember the uh, the gallows that was at January 6th? You remember mm-hmm. seeing that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and did it look like a functional gallows to you? I don't know if you have any experience with tying nooses, but. I, I mean, no, I mean, I, I haven't done too many. Uh, you're, not, you're not like hangings. working a pit crew. You're not working a pit crew for like a, Na- a NASCAR no, or anything? No, I did not uh, go into Bubba Wallace's garage and definitely did not use a garage pole as a noose. So there was this noose hanging there. It doesn't look functional. Maybe it was, but it's like sort of like like haphazardly like tied off the top of like this four by four construction. It's theatrical. It mentioned like even written on it, it says this is art, right? Yeah. And so well, there's it's the noose. Effigy. That's what effigy is. There That's was a long property. history of people hanging people and effigy, which is to say taking a dummy that dressed up. And by the way, I saw this in D.C. of Donald Trump all the time during my five years living in DC or working outside of DC rather, when we were in DC on the north side of the White House in the Lafayette Square region, protesting was every day. They had an enormous inflatable Donald Trump baby doll. The thing was probably 10 or 12 feet tall. I have no idea if they needed a permit or whatever else, but they would blow up this inflatable baby doll. It was Donald Trump with like a pacifier crying in a diaper. Very weird. Um, Just full obsession, the amount of money that went into that. And then people hanging Donald Trump in effigy. They would literally have dummy dolls that they would have and they would be on nooses and they'd be carrying them around or hanging them from their strollers or like other really, really unhinged things. You'll be interested to know that the noose is actually a symbol of white supremacy. It's not just a way to dispatch people who are criminals or that have been hung historically. It's actually a tie-in to anti-Jewish lynchings per a scholar at this university from Brandeis University. Uh, he's a scholar in American anti-Semitism. The noose is exclusively anti-Semitic. Wow. So now we're we're expanding it out of the anti-black racism. It's now anti-Semitic. Well, my question is then, as being you know, a member of the tribe, uh, what's my reparations here? I mean, I, I'm just discounting things like, like go it's back and like somebody in my family helped build a pyramid somewhere. So oh, like, he found does it. Look that, at that mean that the pyramid, the food pyramid means that I am suffering? Look, did you uh, see what Ryan learn? just brought up? Bring that up again, Ryan. Th- that was all over the White House forever. This was on the North Lawn. You could see in the background there that oh actually that goodness. flag is where the uh, where the White House is. Wow. Uh, yeah, thing, I mean, you would think that they because that's just so large and the way that it ha- would require upkeep that there would be some sort of permit that was allowed to do, which I mean, look, if it's an area you can protest, you can go ahead and do it. As long as you're not on a roadway to let the uh, the ranger from Nevada just mow you down. Just um, Yeah, just consider how much time and effort went into putting that thing up, which- I mean, you don't have a full-time job. That, that's that's that why That is your full-time job. That. Yeah, yes. and you'll notice it's almost all women and one guy who's probably a university student has- Well, and they probably have- that. Yeah, they're, they're getting paid. And they're, they, sure. they probably have, they, it's probably government money funding, funding it. That's the other funny thing about it, right? It came out of some kind of a grant which came into some nonprofit. The nonprofit turned around and used it for advocacy against the sitting government. All ridiculous um, because, you know, they didn't like his tweets. They didn't like what he was saying. They didn't like his hair. They didn't like the fact that he was married to a supermodel and that, you know, he maybe hooked up with a porn star or probably did. Uh, you know, not not necessarily like the paradigm of chastity and virtue that we saw in Donald no, Trump. And, and yet and policies can I, that were effective financially for me. Brief detour. We had a first lady who was an actual supermodel. Right. And she couldn't get a picture on a single magazine, but we had to hear about Michelle Obama's arms for yeah, eight but years. She's stun- yeah, she's stunning and brave. That's why. Stunning and brave. Um, 
we're gonna we're gonna move through because the, there's five total symbols. The best one was co-opted Norse mythology, and Tom Burkett, who's a lecturer in Old English, which I I guess is also Norse. Um, he's a lecturer in Old English at the man. He really they had to stretch here. University College Cork in Ireland explained that the symbols that Chansley wore on his body are actually Norse mythology, and uh, and therefore they trace them back to Nazis. Oh, oh, so the tattoos, not markings that he put on for the specific, the shaman, because that's his, you know, religious belief. Correct. Uh, that indicates that he. The, they're dog whistles to members of an increase, increasingly global white supremacist movement who know exactly what they mean. He tattooed his body to let people know exactly what they mean. Now, many of you may have seen our interview with Jacob Chansley, and if you didn't see it, please go back and watch it. I think you'll find a very interesting, forgiving, and sort of a gentle soul and a very a very articulate man who is not what he was portrayed to be. He's not a cartoon meme. And uh, whether you agree with his beliefs or not are sort of irrelevant. That's the brilliance of America. He has a perspective. And to say that they are Nazi, I think would be a very, very far reach. Of course, they're just doing it from a single picture. So I guess that's what prejudice actually looks like, is that you decided from a picture what somebody is about. Well, they probably saw the horned hats and thought, oh, that's definitely a Vikings fan. So let's do something with the Vikings. There as it opposed is. to that could be like a legitimate, long-standing religious belief, whether or not you subscribe to it or not. Plus, they're uh, buffalo horns, which I think are American buffalo. Anyway, it's no big deal. So that's that's North mythology that was uh, co-opted, and then the last one was um, this is my favorite too. Another prominent flag at the Capitol riot, which doesn't strictly present as white supremacy, but we're going to loop it in anyway because we're academic rigor with journalistic flair. Was Betsy, the flag Betsy Ross? The Betsy Ross. The former independent country of South Vietnam. You didn't have that on your bingo card, did you? No, the, I did the, not. The old uh, trying to resist the communist invasion from the north, the yeah. Ho Chi Minh invasion, that actually is also white supremacy because... I'm going to need you to square that circle, dog. <laughs> nope, I got nothing. I got nothing there. It just said uh, this was just important conversations that we had with people. Um, and uh, the South Vietnamese view their fallen homeland as an extension of the American push for freedom and democracy worldwide. And so, therefore, it symbolizes militant nationalism, and that's white supremacy. When you are pushing this kind of craziness... That's how you end up in the place that we're in right now. I talk about words meaning something. These symbols come up and they are really, you know, they're they're very pervasive. They are hammering home that narrative. They started doing this 10 days after January 6th. And that's how we ended up in a scenario where we've got a sitting president who has been alleged to have done a whole bunch of things. But we had an actual president impeached two times for a bad phone call. That they yeah, don't like. I think you have to see the the narrative, the actual strength of a narrative with, with it comes to the vocabulary that was introduced uh, it, from the Trump presidency, where we did you ever hear of the word dossier used in common parlance before Donald? I mean, Trump I did, but I like I like spy novels and stuff. So yes, I have, but uh, it wasn't used by the media nearly as no. often. Or, it, or and, and now bringing it up to the January sixth stuff. How many times, other than learning about how awful John Adams was as a president, because it was the Alien and Sedition Act, sedition. When have you ever heard sedition or insurrection? Yeah, never. No, and Yet, neither have they either. Within within a day. Everybody, insurrection, sedition was getting pumped out there. This was, I mean, it's impressive. This was a long-term plan to introduce that terminology to make that actual criminal charge. It's something a, it's that a was long, long run. 
Yeah, you're correct. It's a it's a seriously long run up to it. And we're going to do um, I've got uh, Ryan showing me a couple things from our super chats here. So uh, Rumble Rants from Jester, who just said, I'm sure other states do the same. But here in Tennessee, you can choose the Gadsden flag as a vanity license plate. Of course, uh, Virginia is one of the, the ones that does that as well. I love how many people here have them and I immediately know where they stand. That's true. You do know that they care about a little bit of personal liberty. That's helpful. And uh, our buddy Eric Jason always letting people know that they need to smash that like button. Give that thumbs up. We do really appreciate it. if you do that. If you're sitting the live chat. Let me um let me bring some 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 craziness to this because like you say it was a long run up to get where we're at right now. There's an article, it's the political article Ryan, let me let me uh, eyeball it real quick and, and tell you what it is. The sorry, it's Breitbart. Uh if you'll pull up number 3. The unnamed Republicans, so once again we're crediting unnamed Republicans say there's no evidence. They fear that there's no evidence of Joe Biden's wrongdoing. Okay, and what they said is that they just don't have the smoking gun for this particular president to do an impeachment. And that's why they can't even open up the inquiry to do it. And then when you scroll down through all the ads and all the other kind of bright party stuff, you get to this list. I'm going to read this list to you and you can um, you could put (laughs) you could put uh, Steve on the screen so I could read it and he could just react with facial expressions for a second. Uh, It says powerful allegations continue to mount against the president. Allegations include but are not limited to photos, texts, an audio recording, the IRS and former business partner and whistleblower testimonies of one, the Biden family suspicious activity reports of wire transfers. This is coming through FinCEN. These are government reported um, transactions. Number two, text messages. Three, email. Four, WhatsApp messages. Five, photos of Joe with Hunter's business partners, which he said he's never been part of. Six, Joe's voicemail to Hunter. Seven, Five individuals referencing Joe Biden as, quote unquote, the big guy showing common terminology. Uh, Eight, two whistleblower testimonies. Nine, an FD 1023 form from the FBI alleging a recorded phone call and text between Biden and Burisma executives. (laughs) We're going to keep going. Number 10, uh, FBI informants alleging bribes. Eleven, videos of Joe Biden bragging about getting a Ukrainian prosecutor fired. Twelve, Hunter's statement about giving half of his income to his dad. 13, former White House aide saying the FBI ignored Joe Biden's role in the Ukrainian business dealings. 14, millions of dollars flowing into the Biden family business accounts with no explanation. 15, Hunter Biden paying for Joe Biden's expenses. And 16, him having official alias email addresses on government servers. 5,400 of them on last count, I believe. But there's not really any, there's not really evidence that Joe's done anything wrong. You could maybe open a probe. But certainly not an assessment or, you know, a preliminary investigation. Now, I, I have really a very rudimentary understanding of what the impeachment inquiry is. I, I, From what I understand, they're not really even presenting it properly in the media. When you open an impeachment inquiry, it, it just enhances the power of the Congress to get the information in a more expedited fashion. Correct. So for them to say that it, because it has the word impeachment and the people think, oh, they're going to impeach him. It's uh, uh, to my response is. Why don't you just put the president under impeachment inquiry on day one every single time they're a president? You're supposed to have oversight. They're supposed to be equal branch of the government. They should be always, always transparent. And you should be able to snap your fingers and get anything on that person. I don't know why we're going to play with this this game. I don't care who the president is. I don't care who's in charge of the Congress. Immediately, if you're elected president of the United States, you're under impeachment inquiry. It seems perfectly reasonable that these tools would be available. And like you say, it's opening an investigation. It's not saying that they are going to move forward with impeachment. That wow. actually takes a vote. You have to have the votes to do it. Um, for whatever it's worth, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who I am a um, 
I would say lukewarm on at best. She said, I don't know how anybody will take us seriously if we cannot vote on an impeachment inquiry. She's correct about that. If you can't vote for impeachment on Joe Biden, then how can you even claim that you're willing to drain the swamp? Because you're not Uh, 100%, 100% on that. So MGG bringing that uh, at least into focus that you are not a serious group. And I think that's what we've experienced in this country. That's why we are so far afield with so many of these things, because they just have not come through with the things that they promised. They said they were going to go through and look into this guy uncovered an awful lot. And it seems like an impeachment inquiry would be like, what is Comer doing with all the uh, the work that they're they're doing in the oversight committee? What are they doing in the judiciary as they sit there in this uh, weaponization? Like, is that not bringing up all the evidence that's that should be available? It's all sound and fury signifying nothing. It's all theater. There's going to be no follow through. This is what we Garrett and I got into yesterday. There's no mutually assured destruction. There's no guarantee of a rational deterrence here because there's never going to be turnabout as fair play. The rabbit's never going to get the gun. Or and when they do have the gun, they just turn it back on themselves because they're going to they're going to play this narrative they, line. They look down heard. the barrel to see if it's loaded and yeah, take a, take a blast right. like like Elmer Fudd style, <laughs> like Wiley Coyote. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean Brian Kemp made some big statement about you know I'm not going to engage in political uh, in political theater. What do you think indicting a president from a county prosecutor is? You're just 100%. failing to recognize the battlefield conditions at this point, and that's why you've been flanked at every turn. So you're either complicit with the other side, and you're actually on their side, not on ours, or you're just feckless and useless. And and there needs to be a recognition that it's not it's not optimal. I don't want to live in this country as it's presently constituted, but I can't just bury my head in the sand and say like, well, no, la 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 la, I don't want to hear about it. And say, well, you know, I just believe in the Constitution. Look, the one side says that that's an old, dusty document, and they've broken the social compact. So right. we have to restore order, which is why I said, let's start with somebody that's prominent. You can start with the Mayorkas. They've broken the social compact with Mayorkas. They've invaded the country with illegals. I said, Secretary Granholm, she's encouraging people to lease electric vehicles. To me, that's a sin. Let's charge her with a crime. She did it on the internet. Do you know how many jurisdictions that went to? How about yeah, all, all of them? All of them. Interstate capability, for sure. So I, I like to say this a lot, that uh, the Democrats are, are playing to win. That's what progressives equal. Like, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that they're making good progress. They're just trying to move the ball, and they constantly do so. And Republicans are playing to lose more slowly. That's 100% defense that continues to give up, uh, you know, ground runs. They're going to let the ground game, you know, keep going. They're going to try to stop the air attack if we're going to do a football metaphor. So they will let them move it down the field, but just a little bit more slowly. Um, here's here's something that I think will will make you laugh. This is Glenn Kessler. I don't know if you know that Glenn Kessler also goes by the fact checker uh, on the Washington Post. Uh, if you'll pull up a topic number nine for me, Ryan, I want to uh, share this because this is just one of those moments when it hits you and you have a memory that's more than a few seconds long. You'll remember this. Joe Biden loves to tell. Sorry. So Joe Biden loves to retell certain stories. Some aren't credible. Just take a deep breath and experience this. This came in last night. This was posted at 3 a.m. Eastern time. So right in the middle of the dead of night, this analysis piece by Glenn Kessler, the fact checker from The Washington Post, also known as a uh, human clown, I suppose. Uh, It says uh, Biden, like many politicians, likes to tell stories, stories that attempt to connect his life story with his audience and make up an essential part of his persona. Man, that is really hard hitting stuff. That's just like the net is closing in. Like we just read about Trump a second ago from CNN. the, The Washington Post tweeted it out and they said that here's a guide to some of the stories told by President Biden that cannot be verified or are not plausible. 
to which I quote tweeted, it's spelled L-I-E-S. I did. I see that. And I may have even pulled this from you. Uh, I at least pulled some of this stuff from you. Uh, Ryan, if you'll pull back up that thing, because I'm going to show you. Speaking to the survivors of the devastating Maui fire on the 21st, uh, Biden talked about how he had a lightning strike a pond that was near his house and it sparked a fire somewhere. And so, quote, to make a long story short, I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette and my cat. All kidding aside, the classic Joe Biden when his joke doesn't land. Not a joke, man. I'm serious. But uh, but seriously, people, he's so bad at doing this. Now I want to show if you'll bring up topic number eight, the difference between what happens when you're Joe Biden and a Democrat in the Trump era. This came out on the 24th, just after uh, Trump left White House. Trump's false or misleading claims total 30,573 over four years. Another analysis by, oh, the fact checker, Glenn Kessler. Well, that was comprehensive. And he needed additional help from Meg Kelly and uh, Salvador Rizzo. So here it is. They've compiled by the end of his term an accumulated 30,573 untruths averaging 21 erroneous claims per day. The lyingest president in American history, I'm sure they would say, um, although they're the only ones keeping track and they get to be the ones to decide whether it's a lie or not. Many times, not a lie at all. It's so silly to see this, but when you look at the way the language is being manipulated around it and the way that they are playing this game in the open very clearly, you know, everything Trump says is a lie. Things that Biden said need context. When you play this game back and forth, you get half this population that is not dealing with the same set of facts that you and I are reading off at all. Yeah, that's why they don't ever say lies. They don't don't even introduce that word into your brain in in the present context. It actually reminds me of when Obama came in and they talked about the jobs that they created or saved. With right. stimulus it's package. always moving. It's moving that 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 is progress. That is, quote unquote, progressives redefining the terms. Right. Yeah. Because um, what's a saved job? I mean, you could just say like, well, if I hadn't taken action, then that paper boy there, his job would have been lost. You're going to have to draw the connection there. No, I did it. It's fine. I, I know a couple jobs that were not saved under the Biden administration. Yeah. Yeah. So do I. Um, and I think that there's probably a couple or several hundred more that are going to be lost soon. You want to talk about that just briefly, some of the interactions we've had with uh, folks on in the FBI. Just This is some inside baseball for you all. For those of you in security division, we're keeping track of what you're up to. We know your story. Um, we're not going to out any individual names, but... I will. Hi, Wiley. How you doing today? <laughs> That's it. So we got some inside info from a number of people. Uh, this, is not, this is not individually sourced. There are uh, several hundred FBI employees, upwards of 500, maybe more than 700, that are under internal investigation for quote unquote insider threat. You, you want to tell people what an insider threat is supposed to be? Insider threat is supposed to be Robert Hansen, somebody who's like a seditious conspiracy to engage in a treasonous action. No, I mean, only if they're going to obstruct an official proceeding. Got it. But a Robert Hansen would be the consummate insider threat. That's the person who's stealing information and bringing it over to a nefarious actor. You're supposed to be on guard for those. You're supposed to look for the indicators, somebody who's got financial stress or family stress. They could be easily compromised. And you receive training on that. And we've sort of cataloged how that training was now commingled with the whistleblower training unnecessarily. And it was very clear that the, the theme of that was that you should be on lookout for insider threats and whistleblowers are insider threats. And interestingly enough, I don't know if they called you an insider threat at any point in time, but there are specific references in my file for my EEO complaint where my ASAC, that's the two levels above me supervisor, referred my name to the office of the insider threat. And of course, they took the logical action at that time. This goes back to, um, I think it goes back to March or April of 2022. 
Yeah. So about a year, a year and change ago, they they took the logical threat uh, seriously that I might be an insider threat. And so they transferred me to the National Security Squad where I could do no damage. <laughs> no, I was I, I from what I know, I don't know about insider threat. I know they try to make me a political activist. And my one my one buddy who actually left after this because his sheriff pulled him back uh, said that they came to him because they flew out to interview every one of them. I had to fly to D.C., of course, to to have my conversation. But they flew out to Daytona to interview everybody in my office. And they tried to they say, did the well, same for mine. Yeah. Is Steve politically uh, active? And he and he's couldn't help it. He was like he's like, yeah, man, he's he's very outspoken. And then he's like, so he doesn't like the Democrats. He's like, no, no, definitely not. He's, but Steve also doesn't like the Republicans either. And then they, <laughs> I think Steve basically hates all politicians. Yeah, that's pretty political. You just political. see them like, oh, my case fell apart. They're just not smart. Um, but that being said, we do have people that are trying to keep their heads down in there, which is why some of the frustration that we have is that um, the, the so-called following orders excuse, I'm just engaging in policy. This is the same sort of things that we heard from the people that were investigating you. I'm certain of it. I know it was things I heard from people that were investigating me. Folks, if you want to go and listen to that phone call very early on, in fact, one of the first couple of videos I posted was an hour-long conversation with the woman who was investigating me from the headquarters unit. And she essentially, uh, other than getting emotionally beat up by me naming all the sins of the FBI and keeping them on her, telling her that you know she's complicit, is uh, I'm just following orders. It's the most common thing. It's, it's known as the superior orders defense. We know Garrett loves talking about it, but uh, I'm following orders is something that's going to bring up our friend Jade in a second. Go ahead and reflect on that if she, you like. She gave you the only instruction I, that I think, I, you're, I mean, just, you're a smart guy, just slow down. She said, stop moving. Stop moving. I was like, having gotten to know you better, because at the time we had just been introduced, I'm like, you can't possibly give Kyle Serafin the a, a less useful or less productive line of advice than that. No, I'm it's a just... human. I'm like a human kinetic strike. So <laughs> the odds of you getting me to stop moving is basically none. I would just sit there. You can imagine me doing CI too. So I did CI for those of you who don't understand. Counterintelligence work is mostly sitting at your desk, reading and typing things and not going anywhere. And it's essentially like a torture plan for someone like me who has to get up and move around and is looking for things to do. And I got, I got yelled at for going to the gym. I got told uh, I was spending too much time at the gym for the one or two times I'd go to the gym for a week. So I wow. did it on my own time. Well, yeah, Ten well, now now that Jen Moore gave you the three hours a week for for your mental wellness, you probably would have been better off just to like zen out and, and have a garden or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I could have. You're, you're the as long X Men as I was at, character at juggernaut. That's as long that's as I was, what I gave you. What am I? You're the X Men character juggernaut. You can just run through walls. <laughs> just the more as long as I have some momentum. As long as you have all any momentum. momentum, you can't be stopped. That's so funny. It's so good. Uh, let's talk about momentum. Let's talk about what's kind of the momentum in this country. There's two sort of conflicting things that are going on. I think they're really uh, they're not going to necessarily appear related to our to our audience until we tie it up. I want to uh, put up a video number three, if you would, Ryan. This is going to be uh, the young kid. He's a 12 year old boy in Colorado, of all places. Um, one of my friends who has actually been removed from the FBI for being a decent person and and just uh, you know having thought crime. He mentioned that his daughter graduated from the same exact school that Jaden was at. And he said, if this school is captured by woke ideology, and we'll, and we'll hear a little bit, I don't think that it is completely captured, but if this school is captured, then it's all over in this country. Uh, and that's, uh, that's an interesting thing from, from one of our buddies uh, out in, in Virginia. So let's, let's run this clip, uh, video number three, if we would, and then we'll get a quick reaction. The update obviously is good. Do they know what the Gadsden flag is? That it's a historical flag. So there, um, the reason that they do not want the flag, the reason we do not want the flag displayed, mm -hmm. is due to its origins 
with the slavery and slave trade. That is what was. Can you pause it for one second, Ryan? Well, <laughs> she said the reason that they don't like it is because of its origins. And the mom was like, with the Revolutionary War. And she was like, the slave trade. The slave trade. Because yeah. the white supremacy. It's it's literally that article that we just saw from the conversation. I, I mean, like, you have to pull your kid out of the school because they don't know basic history at that point. Like that that was the only thing that was missing from that. Because that would have been, I would have jumped down her throat on that. Like, excuse me. Have you read a third grade history book? But this is a mom dealing with another woman who is, you know, sort of like in a semi position of authority. She has like a, uh, she's got a, a uh, walkie talkie on her hip, which looks ridiculous. By the way, I thought, I thought she was carrying a gun. I was like, wow, that's cool. Like this person's <laughs> on our team. And there's a baby who's like toes are moving. Who's probably, you know, under the age of a year old, pretty amazing stuff. And meanwhile, the mom is just like the revolutionary war. And she was like slavery. You know, like they're trying to finish each other's sentences and they don't and they're not speaking the same language. Uh, you can keep playing it, but we're going to get to the part of the superior orders in just one second. I'll ask you to stop it again, Ryan. Keep playing if you would. The Gadsden Blood. The Don't Tread On Me. Okay. Which is the Gadsden Blood. Okay. She doesn't even know what it's called. Okay. So he, he, um, he's, what's going to happen if he doesn't take it off? I like the smile on the kid's face. The kid's know, smile so is good. epic. Yeah. Because his mom must be awesome. He's like, up oh, here it comes. So I asked if can he just take his stuff out of his bag and go back to class. Like I just want him to go back to class. The bag can't go back. It's got patch on it because we can't have that in and around other kids. So that's what I. Was All right, pause it. Such a Karen. Do you, uh, Ryan, I think I uploaded the, the cartoon. I think it's topic number 13. Will you bring up this cartoon real quick? Because uh, this just got thrown out into the Twitter feed. One of my buddies sent yeah, it over. Yeah, give me a second. I'll get to it. Okay. So the, the, the thing I love is this woman's like, we just want to get him back into the indoctrination space. Like, can we just get him back to sitting at a table where we tell him what to think? This kid has already owned these people. He's 12 years old. I've seen that face. I had that face. I know you had that face. That's the face of, I am smarter than the adults that are in this room. It's dawning on him. Like, cause you had that moment, like wash over you pretty early. And you're just like, they, yeah, third or fourth they, grade. They're maybe I, one chapter ahead of me at best on the book, but intellectually, no. So, and, and when I say that, what I mean is that there's not, it's not a, it's not a gap in wisdom. The, the, the teacher knows more things about the way the world works, but that kid has more raw intellectual horsepower, 100% knows more, can process more and more quickly than that woman. So if you're not watching on a rumble channel, what you're missing right now is this cartoon that somebody created about this very exact uh, thing. There's a teacher with pink hair, of course, holding two what look like dildos to me, but I don't know the difference and says, butt plugs and dildos are for play in a speech bubble, which is pretty unsettling. And obviously there's some little kids in uh, desks that, that that are sitting and staring. You get the backs of their heads. Then we turn to a side angle. And this one is, I've never even heard this term before, but there you go. It says Packers are for creating a penile bulge in the dot, dot, dot. And she looks down and the kid is sitting there, a uh, little white kid with uh, blonde hair and, and like Steve Friend style hair. And he's wearing like a little polo shirt and he's got a backpack that you can see, which is kind of camouflage zoomed in on the backpack. It's got a tab like the Ranger tab or the SF tab. And it says based and underneath it is a prominent Gadsden flag saying, don't tread on me with the snake. And then below it is the uh, the dog. I guess that's the do the doji coin and the, the doji Bitcoin. coin and then the Bitcoin. So and producer so, Phil is like doing backflips right now. Right. The, so you get some uh, cryptocurrency <laughs> symbols there and don't tread on me. So like the sort of destabilization of the centralized power of the state and the Fed and then you see this woman who basically is uh, having a small aneurysm and she says you can't bring that into the classroom as she's sitting there like hoisting aloft this 
hacker, which is a fake penis, and a dildo, which is a fake penis. Um, everything about that is sort of like what we're seeing with this woman. I just thought like somebody said this to me. You can't make up how good that cartoon is and how timely it is. I want to play the rest of this video for a second, but 100% as you're watching, look at this kid's face. The mom is doing the best she can do. She's obviously has a very bright son who's also kind of like what I would used to call just, uh, you know, uh, a shit disturber. That's what they, that's what we were called in my family. My dad would call us that contrarian is the nice word for it, but someone who's going to go out there. I remember being asked a question one time when I was a kid and they were like, you know, name an animal that uh, has no teeth and also has hair, but uh, bears live young, whatever. And they were looking for like spiny anteater or something. It was like something we had just covered that day. And I'm sitting there and all I did was read encyclopedias in fourth grade. Cause it was so boring. I just pulled books out and I would just read encyclopedias. And I was like, baleen whale. And they're like, the, uh, they don't, I um, mean, it has to have hair. And I'm like, all mammals have hair and they nurse live young and it doesn't have teeth because it has baleen strips and it eats krill. Like that's fourth grade Kyle being, you know, whatever that was. And it was always, and, and you just watch like heads explode because they were trying to get the spiny anteater out of you. And the fact that I even remember this story tells me that my memory, I guarantee you the woman who was involved in that has no recollection of anything close to that. Um, Probably doesn't even know what a baleen whale is still. And yet this little kid has got that. You could just see it on his face. It's just right there. It's that smirk like, oh no, I'm going to be alone. I, I mean, I, I, he, the way he just looks back, it's like a tennis match. You know, he's looking back, as but he looks back to his mom and he has that smile. And I'm like, that's that mom must kick some serious butt. She's squared away. And, and she knows gonna... that she's got a like a bright kid. All right, let, let's finish the video out. I'll try not to interrupt because we're going to get to the superior and it looks like part of it. She's got a stroller there too. So she's got another she kid does. in she's the room. She's got a baby. There's toes. <laughs> There's little baby toes that are moving right there. She's outbreeding these clowns. Yeah, it has nothing to do with slavery. That's like the Revolutionary War patch that was okay. displayed when they were fighting the British. Like that wasn't, that's the revolution. Maybe you're thinking of like the, um, the Confederate. She's giving her an out. Army. Maybe you're thinking of something because you're dumb. I, so, I am just here to you that we're done. And, yeah. Here I it comes. Reverse the policy that was provided okay. by the district. Okay. And definitely you have every right to not agree with it i mean yeah, yeah, absolutely. he says that he's allowed to wear that if you like go on their website it's like says in big so letters i all I, all i'm saying is that unless there's like a ban on patches period like you said there's no patches allowed at the school you cannot display what you think or anything like that or what cheer or anything like that um i i don't i think it's like one-sided you know because you allow some patches, but not other, other patches. Kids have patches, like other names, and like the American flag that Yeah. That was. The American flag is racist too. That's probably enough of this video. Most of you guys have seen this on social. It's, it's made the rounds. Millions of people have seen it, but there's something really special about this fact that the mom is pushing back. She obviously is not ready for like an academic debate about whether this is a slavery versus whether this is an American revolutionary war flag, because who would come into that conversation and just be like, oh, I'm dealing with someone who is a complete dunce. We're not even dealing with the same set of facts. Yeah, I mean, and she was as polite as you could be. I don't, I don't think you or I would have had the same courtesy. I think it would have been like, oh, you're dumb. Let me teach you this for a second. Because she tried. She tried so hard to give her that out. She was like, look, you might be mistaking it for, I don't know, a stars and bars or swastika. But like very clearly, this is a revolutionary war it's flag. Um, you might be I, reading I, I the conversation. Expect. You might be reading the conversation, which has academic rigor and some uh, journalistic flair. But what uh, what's really happening here is you have no idea what's happening. Uh, it kind of makes me wish that my kids were in schools 
only because these moments would be really fun for me, but I just, I would never subject my kids to it, obviously. Hey man, I had it before we moved our kids and mine was on math. And I just was like, hey, I have a college degree in, in accounting and I can't add to 16 using your math. So explain, and they're like, well, it's just, you know, it, it's just the new, the new way of doing things. And I'm like the new way of doing things like I can't add to 16. So we're not gonna be doing that. So just so you know, my son's gonna be doing the real math. And if you push anything back on that, I'll just tell you, well, real math works. And he came in and did real math. It, there's just, there's nothing. Yeah. We, we tested we talked to a ninth this. grade level at the age of eight. Exactly. It's, it's really <laughs> troubling. I, I, I always laugh because when we talk about homeschooling, I'm like, are we going to be sufficient? I took, um, you know, I took enough classes in material sciences. I was an engineering student for two years. I've got five semesters of calculus under my belt. I don't remember a lot of it, but I can still look down and figure out what a differential equation is. I know what it is. I recognize it, you know, and it's just funny to see that. How many of these teachers that are teaching, you know, high school math, I had a PhD level. He had a PhD in mathematics teaching me at fifth grade and he was working on set theory. And that was the last time I saw it in fifth grade. And I went to a kind of a special school, but <laughs> for, for, for people who are weird like me and in fifth grade, I saw set theory and I saw it again when I was a sophomore in college. That was the next time I saw it. Not anywhere in high school. Uh, I had a whole class in, uh, in high school where we literally did geometric proofs and we took the, um, we took the basis of like three things, like what a point was, what a line was, and what a plane was. And we proved all of Euclidean geometry from proofs. We had no book. The book was whatever you proved, you could use those theorems. Mm -hmm. And most people don't get a chance to think like that. And if your kid is advanced and you know, you can do that in your own home, you know, let them, let them learn how to do things the way that the ancients did, which is that they looked around the world, they observed things, and then they created, you can show them what the system looked like, but let them use that system. Cause all that stuff is, is actually things you can, you can derive the answers from real mathematics, not from whatever this weird thing is that they're trying to teach. I keep hearing about common core. We're whatever. the most highly educated people in the history of the world, and yet we're the most ignorant. That's it. There's no actual knowledge being maintained. It's methods and it's all kinds of, uh, and of course, now they're teaching, you know, what to do with a butt plug, which is bizarre. I, I feel like that should seem self-evident. Kids are like, yeah, I don't want that. Uh, things go out of that hole. I'm not trying to put anything in there. I'm good to go. Thanks so much. Take that purple thing, take it back home to whatever your he, she, or it you have in a chain somewhere like the gimp <laughs> from Pulp Fiction. It's so strange and sad. I'm going to do a couple of things pushing this narrative. This is the upside. This is the swing that's coming back. Yeah. Um, we are actually making a, a push. If you'll pull up topic number 12, this is my former university, uh, the University of Oklahoma. And interestingly enough, what we're seeing is, is that the people with money who have sense and rationality have decided that this is too much. This is not even a new article. This is coming from May, but they're saying they're very disturbed. These are donors that are fleeing from the University of Oklahoma, which is a really conservative place that the, the state is. And it's a very, you know, very practical group of people. There's a lot of people that never even went to college that love the University of Oklahoma. They're big fans of the football team. Um, they won the national championship my first year there. And it was it was amazing to watch how the, 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 the whole town of Norman, Oklahoma would swell. It would double in size from all the people out there, many of whom had never attended, but they were so proud their kids had gone there. It was like a life journey to try to send somebody there. It's really an institution in the state of Oklahoma, a very small state, not a very rich state, but a nice group of people and like some of the nicest people you ever find. And they are like, we're not giving our money to this woke radical nonsense. They're pulling money because of the radical DEI agenda. And that to me is going to be some of the backswing. And of course, those people are probably referred to as racist. And it's probably because of the gas and flags that they have flying in their, you know, their gyms or <laughs> sitting up there on the back of their license plates. It's, it's kind of an incredible fractioning, but we're still seeing it. There is at least a backswing to this. 
Hopefully. I mean, I, I just, I get so frustrated whenever I see these stories, especially the one that we're in, you know, in Colorado and compare it to something like that. I'm just, you have to hope that, that there's going to be some pushback from parents. We had it after the COVID shutdowns with just the, the DEI and the CRT and that momentum. We just got to keep that juggernaut momentum going the best that we possibly can. Because there's, is there really, can you think of anything that is more important than the rearing of your children that you're ever going to do in life? And then, you know, what we're doing day to day on, on government weaponization is obviously going to be our mark that we might be, if we ever are remembered by anybody else, uh, that'll be it. But, you know, I'd throw that out in a heartbeat if it meant that, you know, my kid could, could move ahead and move bar forward. And, and I could say that I did my best job as a dad. It's the reason why I came out. People were like, what are you doing? It's like, it's not about you. It's not about the FBI. It's about the fact that I want my kids to live in a place that is free. Really, uh, uh, really sort of insightful pivot towards the COVID situation, because of course we are moving towards the, the new boosters, the new mask lockdowns. We talked about this a week ago or two. I, I saw that every single conservative podcast has picked up this sort of thing. We were all kind of on the same thing. We're all seeing the same signs. I want to play video number one, and then uh, I'll show you why you will be armed to walk out there in the world and never put on a mask on your face that is made of paper. Again, uh, video number one, if you're ready, Ryan. How, how concerned um, is the White House about a new COVID wave uh, in the fall? And how are you thinking about you know, masking, uh, boosters, and just broadly about the state of the pandemic right now? So a couple of things. Um, so, um, and I spoke to this on Monday, happy to, to talk about this uh, now. So nationally, the while CDC is reporting an increase in infections, as you all know, and hospitals admissions overall levels remain low, which is important. Uh, the U.S. has uh, experienced increases in COVID-19 during the last three summers. So it's not surprising that we're seeing this uptick. Uh, so, uh, I'd say, you know, it's been a long, uh, a long period of declining, uh, declining rates. And so when updated COVID shots become available in mid, in mid September, we've heard from uh, the FDA and CDC, uh, they announced this last week that there will be new new uh, new vaccines uh, next uh, this are we in September next month mid mid uh, mid September. We will be encouraging all Americans to get updated COVID COVID vaccines and also let's not forget the RSV. Let's not forget uh, the influenza shots as well. All are very critical and important. So we'll be encouraging Americans to do that. And vaccinations, as we all know, as you've heard us say from here, uh, against COVID nineteen remains the safest uh, protection for avoiding hospital. Those are the safest things you can do, um, but they're not quite as safe as if you would also get the shots and then wear a mask. Let's do video number two. I don't know if you've seen this one, Steve, so you might get a live reaction. We don't even probably need any audio on that, Ryan, if you want to queue up video two. Let's see what uh, those masks are that you're seeing all your friends wearing as they uh, sit in their car by themselves and put their gloves on. This is a factory. Uh, this doesn't look like it's in America, I don't think. There's a couple of men here you're missing that are wearing uh, wife beater kind of sweaty T-shirts, and they are sewing the masks that will go on the faces of the people that want to comply so desperately. You'll see it's pushing a, a string of them off to the floor. The floor looks not clean. It looks like maybe as clean as a gymnasium floor in the Air Force when I was active duty, which is to say not that clean because it was made in the 60s. Uh, rubberized flooring. And you can see this is coming in. This is one guy's desk here. It says uh, it's from February 22 of 2020. Kind of interesting that they were mass producing the masks in February. 
I don't remember the uh, requirement coming on until after March. So that's kind of fun. And then you're thinking, well, well, at least we should get those COVID tests that uh, was mandated that Kyle said no to. Let's throw the COVID test uh, video. I think that's video number four. I want you guys to see how these suckers are packaged up. They look really nice when you get them to your house. Just consider these are children. These look like they're children under the age of our friend Jaden there. There's a little girl there that looks like she's probably about seven years old. Uh, they've got scissors and they are cutting things up and they are shrink racking and they are taking a bunch of Q-tip swabs that are supposed to be sterile off a floor. And they're stuffing them into individual packages and they are sealing them up. These are the uh, the COVID tests and the way that they set these things up. Do you think there's any COVID on that floor, Steve? What do you think? I don't think that there's any uh, <laughs> any COVID in uh, in the world at all at this point. It's, I think it just is. It's I think. Just- it's just carbon at this point, right? And carbon's the enemy. So Got it. So we're just carbon, fighting carbon. And then that's, I mean, obviously, the vice president had her Freudian slip. We just need to lower the population, and that'll be the solution. If only I was we had actually that. more distracted. I mean, this, this is kind of off the board. Both of those videos um, were gave me some, like, almost PTSD-level flashbacks of child porn that I had to watch and how much of it came from third-world countries that was in, it filmed and looked just like that with kids that were that age. Yep. And the fact that we're, I mean, this look, is child exploitation. Work, it doesn't matter if it's child exploitation. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what's going on there. And we're just going to rev back up COVID 23. Everybody get ready. We got, I mean, we got to have Tiger King season two. We got to get our $1,200 stimulus checks, mail-in ballots, vote often, vote, you know, vote for, vote for those stimulus packages, man. That's what you got to do. And we're, we're all going to I mean, all the people that are screaming, never again, freedom. I'm like, where were you? Where were you three years ago? Our list of allies was very thin, Aragorn. And I, you have to call me very skeptical of anybody today. That's It's it's in vogue to scream about freedom. Um, but when the rubber met the road, they already were proven wanting. And we'll see if, if they're going to have changed their ways. Because to me, ultimately, it has to be the person that says, hey, I got I got messed up. I was wrong. I made a mistake. I will never do that again. That's the person that I might be able to give, you know, a second chance to. But still, the people today that are claiming that, oh no, I've always been about freedom. No, you you masked up your toddler to walk into Costco and walk down one way aisles. You have no credibility with me. It's true. And if you're not willing to set your feet in front of that line, you may have lost some lines in 2020 and 2021. Some people got those shots because they wanted to, and I'm time. I'm fine with that. I don't care if you went and got something that you voluntarily chose to do. A lot of the people that are thinking the right way said, I wish that I hadn't once I knew it was going to be mandated and they would have changed their mind. Well, you get a chance. You get a chance right now because they've told you what they want, what they want to do. You've seen the videos, things like this. These are from uh, real James Woods. So if you're not following James Woods on Twitter, you're missing out on some good stuff. He actually is pretty one of the great sort of antagonists to the political left. He just doesn't care. And uh, I sort of love the way that he puts some of this stuff out here. But we're talking about something that was known right up front, that these things were nonsensical. They are not serious products. They were not meant to stop disease. They never were. And they were made on disease floors using child exploitation and other things. But like it's it's poor indigenous workers in places that are not nice and they're not living and making a great amount of money. Somebody was profiting on it. And um, uh, we had this sort of experience yesterday. I had people from the FBI reach out to me and say, hey, I might need some help pretty soon. And the answer is why? You've had my warnings. Kyle Serafin has been warning things. Um, I was actually talking to FBI panty raid offline. And I, I, I started making warnings in October of 2021 that this was coming for people in the FBI. Start putting your money away. Start finding another job, having a backup plan, whatever that is, a residual source of income. 
You know, I know you and I both lived in a way that allowed us to be able to stand up for our own beliefs. That is not common in the government, and that is why so many of them go along with it. But the warning has been given, and it's been sounded loudly, and it's been sounded for the entire population. If you haven't seen what's coming, it's coming for you, and we know it. And rather than come after the little lifeboat that people like you and I have put together, which is what was going on, it's like, you're in the battleship, man. Fix the battleship. Take back the boat. It's time to do under siege with Steven Seagal. It's time to go and be the cook who owns the, the, the scenario and turn the boat around. And instead, what they're doing is they're trying to see, is there any more room on your raft? Can I jump off and flee the ship? No. Our, our boat is full. <laughs> We're doing the best we can, keeping the guys we can afloat. And uh, shamefully, a lot of Americans are going to find that themselves... They're going to be tested again, and many of them will be found wanting because they are willing to just enforce the policies. They're enforcing the policies just like that teacher. It keeps it's an it. addiction to comfort. That's it. And we have to accept the fact that you are going to have to be uncomfortable. Being American in general is not a leisure pursuit. You have leisure pursuits because you're an American, because you're willing to get uncomfortable and do the hard things when they need to be done. We are sitting on the shoulders of giants and taking credit for it. Every time that July 4th comes around, you shoot your fireworks, you eat your hot dog, you drink your beer, and you think, yeah, America, we're free. What have you done other than just coast on the coattails of the people that actually sacrificed? So, I mean, I was like you. Back in October, uh, what's Executive Order 14043, typed it out every single day on that email that I said I took my test, but I had maximum compliance to it to just to give them the middle finger. I know you went with the radical non-compliance, but we both came to the same conclusion at that point. And I had the conversation with my wife and I said, there is going to come a time in the not too distant future when I'm not gonna work for the FBI. Are we prepared for that? Because it's not optimal, but I wasn't gonna stick my head in the sand. I was gonna accept the battlefield conditions as they currently were and accept that reality and, and flow with the punches and do what I had to do. and. I, at that point, it made me more judgment-proof and maybe come, come out when the FBI said, don't you want to just follow orders? We got this really nice paycheck and this really nice pension. And I could say, I don't want your blood money because I actually took my oath seriously. I don't have to just follow orders. I don't have to say, I have to feed my family, so I'm going to infringe on the rights of my fellow citizen oh, who I swore to protect. Did we lose you? I got you. Okay. You just right. you clicked out on my end of it. Yes. Oh. Uh, right when you were at the fever pitch, which I was 100% in. You know, the thing that one of the first things that you and I said, and this is going back a year now, one of the first things that you and I shared was, isn't it a sad state of affairs when the thing that everybody should be doing, which is just following the oath that you you stated and you swore to, is considered to be a heroic action? Because we hear that all the time, you and I do. And I know that both of us sort of discount it because it's not very heroic to I just do gross. what you said you would do. Yeah, I feel gross when people say you're a hero. I was like, I, I went in. I said I was going to do that. Like, I, And I had a, a colleague who I work with in the FBI, and he was a vet. And you know, I did the whole like on veterans say, hey, man, thanks for your service. And he was like, don't thank me. I volunteered. Correct. And I and think they that paid that's, us. that's, yeah, very appropriate. And that was, you know, I had that interaction with the old crusty retired agent who said, you know, what are you going to do now? How, how, why would you ever turn your back on the FBI? And I said, because they try to compel me to violate the oath that you took. And That's right. They just don't understand that. It's uh, the iPhone user agreement, right? Just check yes. Just check yes. Don't check yes, folks. If you're listening to the Kyle Serafin Show, if you know that you are a suspendable in your heart, then you got to set your face like Flint and you need to be able to take some of the uh, spits and the buffets and the uh, the nasty slings and arrows that will come your way because people will call you unpatriotic. They will call you uh, unloving. They will call you unchristian. And all those things are false. Your job is to take care of your, your family and your kids. And we all know that somewhere at a deep level. And those people will, they will rue the day that they have allowed this tyranny. They are going to be very thankful that you 
held the line. So please do. We're grateful for it. All the suspendables. I'm grateful for Steve Friend for joining me. Also for you guest hosting. Thanks so much for uh, taking in for the little time. I think, folks, we're going to take Labor Day off. I'm going to give my uh, my wife another couple days to heal. So we will see you again on Tuesday. But before we do that, I want to say a couple thank yous. And I'm going to give you a double dose of thank yous because Eve TX told me, uh, I gave Kyle's five-star review on Spotify, but there is no place to leave a review there, and I don't do Apple, so here it is. I have the notifications off for virtually every other app on my phone except Glenn Greenwald and Kyle Serafin on Rumble. Those are the only true informative shows that don't filter info, spin, or rehash what everybody else is talking about. Entertaining without being performative. Keep up the great work, y'all. That was just a little bonus one for you. We also wanted to read one from, I don't know who this is, but I love, this sounds like a suspendable thing to say. It's the it's from, do you want the review? Question mark. I feel like that's like angry at Apple uh, coming in from August 20th. What a show. Uh, five stars. Tara, hang in there. I'm sorry, Tara. This is Tara. Uh, Tara. Um, who is this from? This is from Tara Reed, not Reed. Tara Rodas, who I've been talking to all day, too. Uh, Tara, hang in there. 30 plus years, I left the communist country to come to the United States. Now communism is raging through this country, once great country. And my dear friend Rush was so right. The U.S. is the last bastion for freedom. There is no place to go. Listening to Tara, maybe there is hope. I never thought it would be Russia. What a strange piece of hope to get from the Kyle Serafin show that Russia might be an option. Not for me. I'm staying here. This is where our feet is. This is where my family is. This is where my heritage is. And uh, it is a country worth fighting for. And we do it by holding the line personally and then holding others to account for it. So, Steve, thanks for joining me for Friendly Friday. It always makes it easier when I have a buddy jumping in and uh, wrapping up the week. Any parting thoughts or words for the weekend? Hey, everybody. Make sure that you enjoy your communist holiday weekend, uh, Labor Day. And uh, some great pleasure reading by the poolside in these final weeks of summer. True Blue, My Journey from Beat Cop to Suspended FBI Whistleblower. Available on Amazon. The warehouse is out. They might reorder if I get another bump. Do your best for me, Sarah fans. Appreciate it. Fantastic. Great plug. Uh, you have a good long weekend, Steve. Folks, thank you for joining us. We do stream this live. If you haven't hit the like button, scroll on down on there and hit the green or hit it till it turns green, rather. And so we have all the likes that you've been in there on the live chat. Thanks for joining us. We will see you on Tuesday next week. Like I said, three-day weekend. Enjoy your long weekend. We'll see you again. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.